This episode of the Art of Manliness podcast is brought to you by The Strenuous Life. The Strenuous Life is an online platform that we created to help you put into action all the things we've been writing about and talking about on the Art of Manliness for the past decade. Head over to strenuouslife.co to learn more information about the program. We flesh it completely out there. While you're there, put your name on our email waiting list. We got our last enrollment for 2019 coming up here the first week of September. We'll send you an email when enrollment opens up. Strenuouslife.co. Hope to see you there. Brett McKay here, and welcome to another edition of the Art of Manliness podcast. If you struggle with procrastination, goal setting, and generally moving ahead in life, the heart of your struggles may be your view of time. More specifically, that you look at it too linearly. That's the argument my guest today makes. His name is Steve Chandler. He's a success and business coach and the author of many books, including the focus of our discussion today, Time Warrior, How to Defeat Procrastination, People-Pleasing, Self-Doubt, Overcommitment, Broken Promises, and Chaos. At the beginning of our conversation, Steve shares how he personally overcame years of failure and addiction to find a fulfilling life life and career. He then explains why looking at time too linearly can lead to putting things off to the future, overwhelm and overthinking, and perpetually trying to find more information before moving on an idea. He argues that we're better served by adopting a concept of non-linear time management, which pushes us to approach life with a bias towards action, privilege the energy of want to over know-how, and act in the now. We then discuss other tactics and mindsets you can adopt to become a time warrior, including being creative rather than reactive, seeing life as a game, and serving people rather than pleasing them. We enter conversation with what to do when you feel like you don't know what to do with your life. After the show's over, check out our show notes at aom.is slash timewarrior. Steve joins me now via clearcast.io. Steve Chandler, welcome to the show. Thank you, Brett. So you are a successful business coach, corporate trainer, a success coach. Um, but the backstory to how you got to where you are now is interesting because you've written about this throughout several of your books. You're a late bloomer. This didn't happen till midlife. What was life like for you before you figured out what you were supposed to do with your life? You know, it's a, it's a rather tragic tale, and I don't want to leave your listeners um, depressed by hearing about what my life was like, but I, so I'll keep it short. You know, I, I went through all kinds of confusion and failure. I was a bad student. I didn't have any ambition, didn't know what I wanted to do. And I got into, went to college and flunked out and then went back and got into alcoholism and drugs, bankruptcy, all kinds of things that was just uh, stirring the pot of negative adventure and crisis. And this went on for decades. It went on until uh, I finally got clean and sober when I was around 35 or 36. And then I had a blank slate because I didn't have anything I really wanted to do. There was no calling and I had major self-esteem issues. And so I was just at a loss. And at that point, somebody gave me a book and, and said, why don't you read this book? And it was, it was decades ago, but it was by Napoleon Hill. And it was called The Master Key to Riches. Because one thing I did know was I had no money and I had a lot of debts. And that, that had become my major negative adventure in life. So I read that book 
And for the first time in my life, I got a glimmer of hope. And so things turned around after that. What was it in the book that stood out to you that kind of gave you that hope? There was something in there that called to me about creativity that somehow I got a feeling. I always loved creating. I loved writing poetry and things like that. So I liked creating with words. That that was always a favorite thing of mine. I never thought I could make any money doing it. My degree from college was in creative writing and poetry. So, you know, I'm not going to set up a poetry shop and and make a lot of money. So uh, I, I didn't know what to do with that. But there was a sense in that book that creativity can be applied anywhere and that it can be applied to creating money if you wanted to. If that was your issue or your desire, you could apply it anywhere. And this was a revelation to me. I didn't think, I thought I had all these different weaknesses and personality flaws, character flaws that would never allow me to succeed at anything. So that was my first glimmer of hope. And I imagine this turnaround didn't happen right away. No, it happened in stages, which was good because, you know, I read a lot a lot about people who have these enlightenment moments, people like Byron Katie or Werner Earhart driving across the Golden Gate Bridge and getting this flash of enlightenment on what he wants to do for the rest of his life. And then I had this enlightenment envy, you know, like, oh, that'd be great if that happened. But fortunately, it happened in stages. You know, one thing led to another. I got some, I was reading books by Nathaniel Brandon in self-esteem because I knew at that time, or at least thought, that was my biggest issue. I had uh, horrible self-esteem issues. So I read his books, and I got so excited by his books that I went out to see him in California and had some sessions and got connected. And so one little thing led to another, and I got into coaching. I, I received coaching. I went to Landmark Education, took classes. So little by little, I began to create who I wanted to be. And little by little, I saw that was possible. Well, let's talk about some of the ideas that you've been writing about and talking about for the past couple of years. The first book I came across by you was Time Warrior. It's such a great name. It's got this uh, like samurai on there, the cover. And what I like about Time Warrior is that it intersects with a lot of the other ideas you've written about. And also, I think this idea of time management, and people feel like that's an issue they're struggling with. But what's interesting interesting about Time Warrior is you advocate for something you call nonlinear time management. What is nonlinear time management? And that's kind of a weird concept because time we think of as a linear thing. Right. Yeah. It was it was created to be an attention getting weird concept. And but what what I meant by it was simply living in the inquiry of can I do this right now? So most people, and especially me and many of the people, I would say most of the people I've coached or worked with, when something comes up that they want to do or someone asks them to do, and they know they're going to do it, 
the first impulse is where am I going to put this in the future? Or when do I have to do this? Or what's your dead? You know, someone asks you for something and the first response is, what's the deadline on that? When do I have to get it to you so that I can put it out there somewhere in my linear future? And pretty soon this linear future, this list of things that I have to get done gets really heavy and it weighs on my mind. I wake up in the morning and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, I, I've, I've got overwhelm. I've got so much to do. I should have awakened two hours earlier to even get a start on it. So that's kind of the linear approach. The nonlinear approach is something I learned observing some really powerful people in business, watching the way they worked. And I would bring something up like, maybe that company could be a customer of yours. And I would watch this one business leader I admired, and he would say, I think you're right. And he would grab the phone and call them. And I would think, man, that is a unusual and unusual time management system he has. Or if I would say something about anything, he would say, well, let's do it now. We're here. We're living in the now. Let's do it now. And so that became something that, that was so counterintuitive for people that it, it looked revolutionary to me. And I started doing it and I started helping other people do it. Sometimes I'd be coaching somebody on the phone and they would say, I'm feeling so bad because I've put this off so long and I need to write this letter of recommendation. And, and I would say, okay, hang up the phone, write it now and call me back when you're ready to finish the coaching conversation. And they would say, are you kidding me? What do you mean? Uh, I, I'm here to be coached by you. And I said, no, I'm here to help you see that there are things you can do right now. And that's nonlinear. You know, the now, this moment now is not linear. It's, it's here. It's present. It is eternal, and it's where everything great happens. In fact, I wrote a book later after Time Warrior called Right Now. And it's, it's a revolutionary portal to getting amazing things done. And, and it sounds oversimplified, you know, it sounds ridiculous. Like, well, duh, people would say, what are your tips, like in Time Warrior, one guy asked me, and I put it in the book, what are your tips for dealing with procrastination? And my answer is, here's what you do. Do what you're procrastinating on. Do it. That's my tip. And that's, that's what will work for you. And then once you do that a few times, it creates a new neural pathway. What Napoleon Hill used to call cosmic habit force, which was his weird fancy name for just a new habit. And the habit is, can I do this now? Someone sends you an email and says, Brett, will you write the forward to my book? Now you have an option of saying, I wonder if I can do that right now. I've got the book, I've read it. And most people don't even look at that option. So that's what I mean. That's kind of a long answer to what is nonlinear time management, it's utilization of the now. 
Right, that's where the warrior metaphor comes in, because you allude to the works written by Japanese sword warriors, what they've written about. Yeah, that's right. And if they get attacked, they don't say to their assailant, could we fight later? Yeah, and so the, going to like this idea of procrastination, like it seems like your idea is that this traditional approach of time management where you put things in this linear order, that's a reason that, that causes procrastination, right? Because you have the ability to put it in the future and put it off thinking that one day I'll get to it, but then you just keep putting it off, putting it off once it comes up. Yeah, yeah. It becomes a habit. It become after a while it becomes really absurd. So someone comes up to you and says, someone in your family says, can you give me a hug? And you say, uh, how about later tonight? I'll give you a hug. And, and you just say that automatically because you've created the habit of putting everything in your future. And, and the next thing you know is your future does not look like some place you want to go. Hey, what do you think is the source of putting stuff off? Like, why do people do that instead of just doing the thing now? Like, what's, what's going on there, you think? I, I think people, after a while, do not have admiration for action. They don't value action. They value thinking and trying to decide whether things are worthy of doing. And they, they value the thinking part. So after a while, they don't value action like they did when they were kids. One of the great things about your site is there are a lot of things, a lot of podcasts, a lot of articles about action that can be taken on certain issues. Move your body and you'll be healthier. And it's it's a very, what I would say, there's a lot of thoughtful material, but there's also a real bias for action. We were designed to move and create. We weren't designed to overthink everything. So yeah, the the action. And I, I think too, I've noticed this in my own life and then just interacting with other people, readers, is that the thinking and like the you know creating the to-do list like they're, they're sort of like pseudo actions like it makes you feel like you're doing something but you're not actually doing anything yeah that's right that's a good insight i mean it's better than nothing right it's uh, it's better to start putting things on my calendar or on my to-do list instead of trying to remember them that's better it's a better step it is a form of action but you're right. It also is a form of postponing action. And then the other way that people postpone action, I've seen this in my own life, is that, okay, you know what you want to do. You figure out what you want to do. But instead of just getting started, you, you look for more information. And you, you've written a lot yeah. about this, this idea of you know, know-how versus want to. That's right. I don't know how to do this. And like I need to reach this person in this company but I don't know how to get to him. And this, I don't know how to becomes a habit. Like I don't, I don't know how to do it really well yet. So I'm not going to do it. Or I don't, or I don't even know how to do it. Well, how to do things. It's not a mystery how to do anything. You can get it on the internet. You can find coaches. You can get free tutorials on how to do anything. So the how to is not missing. The desire to get into action is what's missing. 
Yeah, and you gave this example. You're working with a client who was writing like screenplays, and she was saying on the phone, "I don't know who I need to talk to to get these, you know, to get these in the right hands." And you were like, "Well, I do." And she's like, "Oh, you do?" And like, "How do you know?" And it's like, "Well, I'm just googling it right now." And here's the thing: you got to go do. Yeah, that's it. And I found stuff, and I googled, "What do I do with my screenplay?" Because that's what she was asking me. And then about five really great articles showed up on here's what you can do. Here's the step you can take. Here's who to send it to first. And she was just stunned, like, because it took her out of the world of I don't know how to, which is where she began to inhabit that world by habit. That was just a habitual, like our brain has these neural neuronal, or however you say it, pathways that get developed and they become automatic. Yeah, I get asked a lot about like, how do you start a podcast? How should I get started with a podcast? And I'm just like, well, you just get started. And then you figure out the, like, I think what people are really looking for, they're looking for like, how can I start a podcast that will be successful right away? And like, that's not going to happen. But like, you just get started and then you start figuring stuff out as you go. That's right. That's exactly it. And surprisingly, or maybe not, most people don't know that. Even so-called successful entrepreneurs and business leaders, they don't realize that. They'll say, how do I have a better relationship with my business partner? And I'll say, bring him in the room. Let's go. And he'll look shocked like, oh, wait, I'm not ready. I don't know how to talk to him. I don't know what the right script would be. I haven't told you what our issues are. So it's everywhere. And it's the it's what gets between a person's creative desire to create something, a relationship, a book, a podcast, what stands between them and their very healthy creative desire is the, I don't have enough information yet. I don't know how to do it perfectly. I don't know how to do it right. Or even, I don't know how to do it. And I think this probably comes from like school, right? You know, public education. Because I feel like when you grow up in America, at least, there's like a treadmill you get on, right? You, these boxes you're supposed to check, right? You go to get your college degree or your high school degree check, your college degree check. And then people, they want to take part in a creative activity, whether it's starting a business or, you know, become a novelist and they're looking for the checkbox, but there isn't a checkbox and they have to start figuring things. And that's, that's a hard transition to make. That is, you're right. And, And you're right. We get conditioned and habituated to giving way too much value to information and no value to transformation, to change inside of me. And so it's all, I need more information. Well, and how do you make that transition from, you know, from knowing to transformation, from information to transformation? I think the, the first step is waking up to the distinction between the two, to, to realizing that there's a big difference between information Like, I can watch videos on how to swim. How do I move my arm in the water? How do I cut my hands? How do I kick my legs? And I can watch those, and I can read books on how to learn to swim 
and I can and I can keep feeling I don't have enough information yet because I'm not ready to go into the water. But transformation occurs from jumping into the water. Well, that's a very Aristotelian idea. Aristotle had something a quote along the lines that you become a carpenter not by reading about carpentry, but by actually doing carpenter things, and then you become a carpenter yeah, by doing it. those things. And the reading about it is fine, too. I don't want to set that aside because a lot of my greatest breakthroughs have come from reading other people's books. But the question is, are you going to incorporate what you've read? In in one of my groups that I run, we have a saying called, once for information, twice for transformation. So if you get a book you love that really moved you or inspired you, why would you not read it a second time and this time go through and read it even more slowly? And this time I'm reading for transformation. I'm reading to have it drop into my system so it becomes a part of how I operate instead of just great new information I've just read, and I was inspired by it. But three weeks later, I forgot all about it, and I'm looking for a new book. Yeah, that's the, that's the, you can get on that, that treadmill where you keep reading and more and more and stuff like, this thing will, this will be the book that'll change my life. But if you never actually take that stuff and put it into action, it's not going to do anything. Yeah, it's kind of like Bruce Lee's observation. He said, I don't fear the guy who has learned a hundred kicks. I fear the guy who's learned one and worked on it, just worked on his one. That's the, that's the opponent I fear. Okay. So just to clarify, you're not saying that looking for information is bad. The, the trick is, is to take that and, and take action on it as soon as you can. That's right. That's it. What can I use if I'm reading for a better spiritual life or a better physical life? more strength, more flexibility. I can read people's books about it, but I want to move it into my system, to my operating system. That's when a book really becomes powerful. And another reason that people put things off that you write about is that the project they want to do just seems so big, right? It's like, well, start a podcast or start a business. And they're like, well man, that's just a big thing. I'm just going to put that off to the side, maybe look for more information. But you say you need to be a warrior and just like cut that into little small pieces and then just take the next action. That's right. What's, what's the next smallest action I can take in that direction? So if I get the idea, I'm going to start a podcast, what's my next action if I'm going to do that? Well, it might be Google, how do, you, how do you create a really well-attended podcast? How do you create a successful podcast? And, and you know, we'll find it there. There'll be a lot of different opinions, but you'll find the opinion that calls to you. So that's next step. Now, once you're there, you want to know what's my next small step. And so you just go from small step to small step, and by... Before you know it, you've got a great podcast, but you didn't think of it like this has to be great. It has to reach thousands of people for me to be okay. And I don't know how to do that. So I'm, I'm not going to start until I have enough information. 
and this can also, you can, this cutting things into small pieces, like alleviates a lot of anxiety about problems you might encounter. Like take debt, for example. That's something that a lot of people struggle with and it causes a lot, a lot of anxiety because it's probably this huge number that they're thinking about at, you know, in bed before they fall asleep. But once you just decide, okay, what's one thing I can do tomorrow, first thing in the morning that will take me towards paying off this debt? Well, then it becomes much more manageable and you feel less anxious. Yes, that's right. That's it, exactly. So let's say I owe this organization X amount of money and I'm scared about them and I don't know how to what to do about it. I can't come up with all that money. Well, one small step is to communicate and get into a relationship and say, listen, I acknowledge I owe you this money. I want to promise you that it's my full intention to pay it. Here's what I can pay you right now. And that's a step in the right direction. And anyone can take that step, no matter how big the debt is, you can take that step. And that step feels good. It's like, okay, I am now active in the project of dealing with my debt. I'm taking action. And then once you take that action, the interesting thing about action is it acts as a flywheel, right? Like it, it builds momentum. So you've taken that one step yeah. there and then it motivates you to take more action later on. That's right. Like, I don't feel like going for a run today, right? But I'm going to put on my shoes. I'm going to put on my running shoes. I'm going to go out the door. I'm going to start my run. That's all I have to do. And I might start running real slowly. But after a while, like you say, the flywheel starts to activate and the momentum inside you starts to build and you don't have to force it. And next thing you know, you're, you're flying down the road, really enjoying your run. And you're thinking, what was I thinking? Why was I so resistant to this run? Well, that's giving too much value to my thinking. And not enough value to, doesn't matter what I was thinking. When I want to run, I'll just go out and run. And the other thing too, uh, that you make a point of is that it's one of the issues of like, you have these big problems or big projects that you're wanting to accomplish. And there's this tendency to think, okay, I'll take an action, but it's got to be a big action, but it doesn't have to be right. Like you right. Can, it can be like super, super like, don't, don't denigrate small steps because you do that every day. You're going to make progress. Yes, absolutely. So I want to repair a relationship. So I might bring her a flower and say, this is for you. I wanted you to have it. I want this relationship to be better. I'll do what it takes. I'm a work in progress. That's a, Anyone can do that. That's a step in the right direction. That hasn't repaired the whole relationship like I'm thinking I have to do. And that's the problem with this overthinking that we've gotten into in our society is we overthink everything so much, it's very hard to decide what to do next. And we end up doing nothing or distracting ourselves on Netflix until we feel like doing something. I want to go back to this idea of, of problems that come up in life. Something you've written about is that whenever you encounter a problem, the first thing you need to do is capture it. What do you mean by that? Well, not be afraid of it. Not see it as scarier than it is. So 
I want to capture it for what it is and put it in front of me. What's really here? What really needs to be done? Now, given this situation, what needs to happen? And that has captured the problem, put it in front of me, and allowed me to look it right in the eye and allow myself to say, okay, I see what it is. Now I'm going to ask what needs to be done. And that way, the problem no longer lingers in the back of my mind. Most people have their problems lingering in the back of their mind, like, I don't want to go there. I don't want to think about that. We're going to take a quick break for your word from our sponsors. So one of my favorite activities is camping. And one of the most important tools you can bring on a camping trip is a knife. But if your knife isn't sharp, you might as well leave it at home because it's going to be pretty much useless. That's why I use WorkSharp knife sharpeners. With WorkSharp's manual and elite power sharpeners, you can sharpen every knife you own, pocket knives, hunting knives, gut hooks, even hatchets, axes, and shovels. Plus, WorkSharp's sharpeners are easy to use. You'll get excellent results in just a few minutes without a lot of practice. So I've been meaning to sharpen my kitchen knives for a long time, but I kept on putting it off because like, ah, I got to go find a sharpener, take the knives to them, wait. I just didn't want to do it. So I put it off. I got the Ken Onion Edition knife and tool sharpener from WorkSharp. I sharpened those kitchen knives, their serrated knives, like the butcher knife, in less than 30 minutes. Super sharp. They're like... They're brand new, basically. And after that, I sharpened my pocket knives, the other fixed blade knives I own. So fun, easy to use. It is dummy proof. Check it out. And right now, I have a special offer from WorkSharp for my listeners. Get 20% off your entire order when you go to worksharptools.com slash manliness. Plus, for a limited time, get free shipping in the US. Don't wait. Go to worksharptools.com slash manliness. Pick up a Ken Onion Edition knife and tool sharpener. It is a game changer. One more time, worksharptools.com slash manliness. Also by The Great Courses Plus. Whether it's solving a problem at work or exchanging trivia with friends, having the right answer is so satisfying. The Great Courses Plus is a priceless source of knowledge in just about any field. The Great Courses Plus is a streaming service that offers thousands of lectures on everything from chances of life on Mars to the philosophy of emotions, starting a new business, and conflict management. With reliable, in-depth information from professors and experts who have won awards for their ability to teach. And one course I've been listening to lately is one called The Psychology Performance, How to Be Your Best in Life. So this takes insights from the field of sports psychology and applying it just to regular Joes. There's lectures on, you know, when positive thinking doesn't work, how to get in the zone, how to manage anxiety, performance anxiety, choking, what to do when you plateau. So check it out. It's a really lot of great insights there. It's called the psychology of performance and it's only available in the great courses plus. And right now I got an offer for you guys. You can get a free trial all access to all the lectures available on The Great Courses Plus, but you got to sign up with my special URL. And that URL is thegreatcoursesplus.com slash manliness. One more time, thegreatcoursesplus.com slash manliness. You get a all access trial for free when you use that URL. And when you sign up, check out the psychology performance. And now back to the show. So this would involve, I mean, this would be as simple as just writing the problem down. And I think the interesting thing too, is you might figure as you write it down that the problem that you thought was a problem is not really the problem. Yeah. Yeah, that often happens. And the more I look at it, the more I begin return to my own power. So I had a coach once who changed my relationship to problems because he would never say, if I brought a problem in to him and he was coaching me on my business, he would never say, oh, gee, this is a, a real problem. How do we solve it? With all the focus on the problem, like the problem had all the power, he would say, okay, given this situation, which I declare to be neutral, not horrifying, not scary, I'm not going to label it, it's neutral, it is what it is, given this situation, what would you like to create? 
And that was a completely different orientation to me because it would return me to my own creativity and show me that that was always the solution. Well, it sounds like that sort of paradigm shift gets you out of a reactive mode to a, a proactive mode. That's right. It does. It opens your mind. It opens your access to divine intuition, creativity. If you put it in a religious context, it returns you to spirit. It allows divine intervention to occur. It opens your mind to better solutions because now in a lighthearted, open way, you're seeing more possibilities. But the more I have labeled my problem as really serious, really awful, really bad, really unfair to me, this is really a terrible thing. Like, for example, I have some people who I've worked with who are getting divorced. And the first thing they say is, this is going to be a really, this is going to be a typical bitter divorce. This is going to be difficult for me, for my wife, for my kids. This, I know this is going to be horrible. Or there even something simple like, we're going to move to another state. And I know making a move is inherently stressful. It's one of the great stressors in the world. So if I enter that adventure of moving, which is neutral, it's just something to be done, and I've already labeled it as stressful, overwhelming, a terrible hassle to go through. And then I talk to other people and they say, oh man, you, you've got a divorce coming up. I've been through one of those. Or, oh man, you moving, oh man, all the boxes and all the negotiation, I don't envy you. And people get support for their victim status. And, and now they approach it like a victim. So if I'm thinking of myself as a victim and I'm approaching something that needs to be done, my energy will be low, my mood will be low, and my creativity will be non-existent. My imagination will not be there. My spirit will be low. So how, how efficient, how effective am I going to be? Well, another mind trick, I don't want to call it a mind trick, another shift you can make to a problem or a different way to approach a problem that's more positive is you talk about this in Crazy Good, your book, to think of it as a game. Absolutely. It's a game. So I can make a game out of anything. I used to work in factories and I had a friend there. We were working, making these little parts for the automotive industry. And so just for the fun of it, because we were young and we were still in touch with our playful spirits. We hadn't talked ourselves out of those while growing up, like most people do. We would make a game of it and say, okay, I'll, I'll race you. I'll see how many pieces I can make by the top of the hour, and you see how many you can make. And we made a game of it, and it was really fun. So you can make a game of anything because that's just a viewpoint you take. Yeah, we uh, had a podcast guest a while back ago named Ian Bogost. He is a media studies professor, philosopher, 
kind of talks about video games. But he, he talked about this idea of turning problems into games. And the example he gave to me that I thought was really interesting because it's a boring thing. He had an issue in his neighborhood and I think he had to go to like the zoning committee and like go to like you know, city council meetings, which is like really boring and tedious. But instead of approaching that way, it's like, oh, this is just a game. These are like little things I got to do. And it actually made the process more pleasant because instead of seeing these things, these sort of, these processes he had to go through as tedious red tape, he thought of like, well, this is just like, I'm playing a video game and I got to do these things to get to, to beat the big boss. Yeah, that's great. That, that returns him to his innate creativity and to his innate playful spirit that he was born into but most people talk themselves out of that and make and and they they do it by labeling everything before it even occurs you know they don't even have a conversation with somebody they label them oh that's a, that person is a toxic white male that that's the label i'm going to put on him based on what i read that he just wrote so that's all i have to think about and so that guy's an idiot, he's evil, he's dangerous. So there's no dialogue. There's no, there's no way to create a good agreement with things that you've labeled already. So another thing you talk about in the book is this idea, can we talk about overwhelm? And the way you overcome overwhelm is you just cut things into small pieces and just start taking action. But there's this other idea that people who practice linear time management is like, I'm getting behind on stuff, or this is a bottleneck. How does a time warrior view, you know, getting behind on tasks or even failing or bottlenecks? Well, I can only do what's in front of me at the moment. And so if I'm behind on something I've promised, that's good information. I, I want to realize that. So I want to change my game so I can catch up. But I don't want to just live in the repeated thought, I'm behind, my life is a race against time. If I take a vacation, this happens to a lot of men in business. People recommend you need more balance. You need, you're, you're burning yourself out. You're too focused on your business. Your relationships are not going well because of that. Your health is not good. And so they recommend take a vacation, sit by the beach. And they think when they get by the beach, they think I'm behind. I'm falling every day I'm at the beach. I'm falling further behind. So in their mind, it's a linear race against time. I've got to get to some place in the future to be okay. And it, it just becomes habitual thought pattern. People think they're behind on things they're not behind on. They're, they're doing a podcast and they, I only have 2000 subscribers. And so I'm way behind what Brett has done. Well, yeah, but you're way ahead of where you were six months ago. So this labeling I'm behind is optional. Well, and I think another interesting too is, um, a lot of things we think we're behind on those tasks, like we actually don't need to do them. Like we just think we need to do them, but we don't need to do them. That, that really happens a lot uh, when men in business, that, as, especially in a smaller business where they just simply don't delegate. 
They think only I know how to do this really well. And so they think they've got all these things to do when in reality, there are many things they don't have to do that they think they have to do, or there are many things that if they gave them to someone else, if they ask for help, do you mind doing this? Could you do this for me? I really trust you to do a good job on this. Would you mind doing it? Can you do this? All of a sudden, they've delegated everything and they're just sitting there. And it's like, oh my God, I never knew I could do this. Yeah, I have a friend who, he, he's a small business owner. And something he does every now and then is for a week, he'll just like not do anything. Because then he'll see like the stuff that he thought was important. Like actually, if he doesn't do it, it doesn't, nothing doesn't hurt anything. Um, and then he actually discovers that, okay, I actually, I don't have to spend that much time on that stuff, but here are other things that I can focus my time on that will actually provide more return on investment. Yeah, that's great. That's a great example. So another thing you talk about in the book that causes a lot of people overwhelm is this idea of pleasing people. And I know we've had guests on the podcast who've talked about people pleasing. It's an issue. Like what, how do you... What's your take on overcoming that, that tendency to, to please others? And how does pleasing others get in the way of getting, you know, accomplishing what we, what we really want to accomplish? Well, if I'm old, it's kind of like being back in high school and thinking being popular is really important. Even if I'm not popular with everybody, if I'm popular with whatever little group or clique I want to identify with. And so I end up, trying to please people by how I talk to them. I flatter them. I try to get them to be a friend of mine. And so my whole life becomes about trying to please people and get them to like me. But what I'm leaving out of the equation is something much more powerful, and that is serving people. What, and, and actually, um, instead of wanting to be liked by absolutely everybody, Serving the people that I am committed to serving and allowing myself to be respected for the service I create for people in the world. So part of really, really succeeding in a powerful way in this society is to drop away all this desire to be liked and to be approved of and all that and, and change the focus to what would really serve this person? What would really help the person? And I want to stay focused on things like that. So what would be an example of a situation where you're pleasing someone, but you're not serving them? Or at least in, in pleasing one individual, you're not serving other people and the bigger purpose you're trying to accomplish, which that individual is a part of. Well, so there was a leader that I was working with and he was allowing people to show up late for his meeting. And the other people in the meeting would roll their eyes like, oh my gosh, these people are dragging in late. But he was afraid to not have these people like him. So he would just say, oh, come on, can't you try a little harder? Or this meeting started at eight. You knew that, right? Okay, okay. Hey, I didn't mean to get on your case. You and And so he would just be uh, trying to please everybody. He had an open door policy. So he wasn't getting anything important done because people were coming in his office and saying, hey, can you help me with that? Or can I 
share some thoughts with you or can I run something past you? And he would always say, oh, yeah, sure. Oh, yeah, okay. And then at the end of the day, he found out that the really three really important things uh, he never got to. So he began to learn to say no. And he put a little sign on his door that would say occupied or something like that or do not disturb. And he would have two or three silent hours where he was working on the important things. And then he would open his door or he would say, if you have something to talk to me about, let me know and we'll meet at a certain time. There was another leader I was working with and he would answer every single email as it came in or anybody who posted anything. And, and he thought, I have to please these people. And, and then he would lose his whole day and he'd have to stay late to do the important things. But he, he felt like, I can't afford not to please everybody. But what he woke up to was he, he developed a policy that said, I don't look at my emails until four o'clock each day. So if you have some emergency, something you really absolutely need my attention on, come see me or call me. Otherwise, just know that your email won't even be looked at until four, and that's the way I'm going to operate. And people were fine with that. They, th they thought, oh, okay, that's how he works. I'm going to send him an email, and I realize he's not going to answer it right away. So those little things where we think we have to please everybody with every little thing uh, has us be dishonest, has us end up resenting these people. Someone says, will you, will you go to the ballet with me? And I say, oh, okay. And then I hate the ballet and I hate going and I resent the person and I feel like I'm falling behind instead of saying, I really don't like the ballet. No, I, there was an example, um, the novelist, I think it's Neil Stevenson. He's a sci-fi writer, but he he wrote this thing about social media. He doesn't really he's not really active on social media because because he says if I were to do that, like I it takes away time from the thing that I'm really good at, which serves people. Like why people like follow me in the first place, like write novels. So like he doesn't he has like he doesn't he has a very light social media presence. But like there's a lot of people who are creative types. They feel like they have to be there on social media all the time, talking with their readers and promoting stuff. But like that's time that they could be spent writing their next that's right. their next book. Yeah, and nothing wrong with it if you've if you've made that clear choice and you've said this is what I really want to do. I love being on social media. I really enjoy interacting with my readers. Then, then that's fine. That some some writers and public figures are really good at that. They enjoy it, and it's a conscious choice. But the most people think I think that's what I'm supposed to do, or I think that's part of being an author is you have to do that. And so they're doing all these things they think they should do. And they're missing the element of choice that's available to them. All right. So be intentional uh, about your actions, your choices. Yeah. What is your, what's the role of goals in nonlinear time management? Because the thing about goals is that they tie you to the future. But do you still think goals are a useful tool? 
they can be. Now, if they, if they don't serve me, if I put a big goal on my wall, I'm going to make a million dollars next year. And every time I look at the goal, I think, oh, man, that's, that's so unattainable. That's not me. I have no idea how I'm going to do that that I get discouraged when I look at that goal, then that goal is not serving me. Goals are something you and I create to serve us. So if a goal serves me, like I want to have five conversations tomorrow, and that goal serves me, because if I put that down, I put five boxes down, I check them, and I get my five conversations, that goal served me, it served what I'm up to. So if a goal is of service, like a GPS inside you, I want to make sure I make a certain amount of money, or I want to make sure I talk to my my mother who's in a nursing home. I want to make sure I talk to her every week. So I put a goal, I'm going to talk to her every week. That's my goal. That goal serves me. It doesn't oppress me or make me dread the future. So, so make sure if a goal is not serving you, if it's not a, a really nice GPS that keeps you on your path, or it's not something that inspires you and says, oh, yeah, I'm going to be an Olympic gold medalist, and every time I see the gold medal I've put on my wall, I get inspired then goals are fine. They're, they're acts of creation that can be very inspiring, but they're not necessary. They're not like, I need, oh, I don't have any goals. There's something wrong with me. I need to set goals. Not necessarily. Well, this leads nicely to my next question, which is this. So a time warrior, the way you've been describing, like he knows what he wants to do and then he does it. Right. So he doesn't let know how or the lack of know how get in the way. He just starts taking action. But you have to know what you want to do. So like what if you what if you don't know what you want to do with your life? Like maybe someone's like you, right? After you sobered up, you didn't know what you wanted to do. How did you figure that out? Well, the answer is to choose. So let let's say you're sitting in a restaurant and the uh waiter comes by. Do you know what you want? No, I don't know yet. Can you give me a few minutes? Now, would I sit there all night saying I still don't know what I want and starve to death? Eventually, I would choose. So let's say I don't know what to do as a profession. I'm going to choose something and go there and see how that is. So the fact that I don't know what to do doesn't mean I can't choose and get into action. I I never had this thing where I want to be a coach, I want to be a corporate trainer, I want to be an author. I never had that. It was just next choice, next choice. Yeah, that's a good, I think that's good advice, particularly for young people. Um, like in, who are out of college, they're trying to figure out what they want to do. Like I get a lot of questions about this. Like, I don't know what to do. They're like, well, I'm just like, do something. Just because you do that one thing doesn't mean you have to stick with that forever, right? You can you can do other stuff after that, but you got to get started doing something. Yeah, that's right. Choose something from the menu and uh, see how that goes. 
And from there, you'll be able to see more clearly. You know, somebody, I've had clients who chose the law school. I'm going to be a lawyer. My parents really want me to be, and I don't know what else to do. So they go to law school, and first year of law school, they realize, I really don't want to do this. I really understand this now. I, I understand what's required. But there's something else from here that I see that I'd rather be doing, and I'm going to go do that. Now, that might not be the perfect thing, but that's better than law school. And then that can show them something else. And so just choose and get into action. Take, get, get something going for yourself. Choose the thing that looks best for now. And don't have it be, is this right? Is this the right path for me or the wrong? Have it be, seems to work for me right now. Have that be an okay category. Seems to work for me right now. Well, that's my exact story. Uh, I went to law school because that seemed like a good career path. But during my first year of law school, I realized I didn't want to be a lawyer, but I wasn't sure what else to do. So I stuck with it. And it was during this time that I started the art of manliness as a hobby, but that wasn't a job option yet. It wouldn't be viable option until I graduated. So in the meantime, I remained 100% committed to my studies, trying to get the best grades, doing internships. Like you said, I just did what seemed like the best option at the time until other possibilities emerged. So when what that does is, okay, not only does getting doing something, it's going to open up other paths. You're going to start seeing stuff as you uh, take that action, but also creates that habit of just taking action and doing something instead of just you know being just paralyzed by indecision. Yeah, that's right. It does. It, it, it starts to develop that habit. So Michael Jordan, if you asked him in high school, what, what, do you, what does he always want to be? He wanted to be a baseball player. That was his dream. I want to, be, I want to play baseball. It turned out he was very good at basketball. And so he followed that. Seems to be, this seems to be working for me at the time. And then later in his life, he went back and tried to do his dream of baseball. But just go with what's available. You know, if I'm sitting in a restaurant and I'm in a Mexican restaurant and I want some kind of fancy French uh, meal, it's not on the menu. I've got to go with what's there at the time. And so look at your options, make a choice, get into action, and don't fall pray to these people, these motivators and dream merchants who, who, who say it, it's really important that you have a big, big dream and you live your dream and that you find the perfect profession, the perfect calling for you, and you go pursue it. Th that ends up with a lot of uh, heartbreak and stress because that's just so not necessary. Well, Steve, this has been a great conversation. Where can people go to learn more about your work? SteveChandler.com. Everything's there. Everything's there. Well, Steve Chandler, thanks so much for your time. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, Brett. My guest there is Steve Chandler. He is the author of the book, Time Warrior. It's available on Amazon.com. You can find out more information about his work at his website, SteveChandler.com. Also, check out our show notes at aom.is slash timewarrior, where you find links to resources where you can delve deeper into this topic.
Well, that wraps up another edition of the AOM Podcast. Check out our website at artofmanliness.com where you can find our podcast archives as well as thousands of articles that we've written over the years. And if you'd like to enjoy ad-free episodes of the Art of Manliness Podcast, you can do so on Stitcher Premium. Go to stitcherpremium.com, sign up, use code manliness to get one month free of Stitcher Premium. After you signed up, download the Stitcher app on Android or iOS and you can start enjoying ad-free episodes of the AOM Podcast. And if you haven't done so already, I'd appreciate it if you take one minute to give us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. It helps out a lot. And if you've done that already, thank you. Please consider sharing the show with a friend or family member who you think will get something out of it. As always, thank you for the continued support. Until next time, this is Brett McKay, reminding you not only to listen to the AOM Podcast, but put what you've heard into action. Thank you.